Welcome, it's Indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard, good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day with me, my contributor, none other than Dr. Jonathan Metzl, gun violence expert, director for the Department of Medicine, Health and Society and professor of sociology and psychiatry at Vanderbilt. Should be a fascinating breakdown. Top story of the day. There's a major update in the Camden County, Georgia brutality case where deputies beat an inmate who was there for a nonviolent offense. We broke this story first. Let me take you back to the original video that we shared right here on Indisputable. Here it is. came into the cell, he's on suicide watch. They jump him, they beat him up. He's providing no resistance. This is a gang related attack, obviously. Look at the brutality here. Other inmates literally come to save this man. No other news agency has this story yet. We're the first to bring this to you. And I have significant background as to what happened to this man. Very sad, it continues and what happened afterwards is that literally they did nothing to help him. Not a damn thing, they did nothing to assist him. Now we also were in receipt of more video. Here's what happened in the hallway. Look at this, now we spoke to Mr. Hobbs directly. He said when he was going through this, he believed he was going to die. And in his mind, he kept saying, don't fall to the ground. You know what they did to George Floyd. That was in his mind, in his heart. Now remember, we have an update today. Not only did they beat him, They decided to charge him with multiple crimes, including felonies, as if he attacked officers, that never happened. In addition to that, his body went completely limp. They beat him so bad, he could not walk, he could not stand. So they put him in a wheelchair and did this to him. Now watch what they do next. It should definitely highlight the reality of their corruption. And their criminality, put him in a wheelchair and they threw him into the cell. His body was already limp, couldn't walk at that time. They kept him in this facility for 15 days with no medical care at all. 15 days, no medical care, no medical treatment, nothing. He could not even receive visitation from his own family during this time. Remember, they decided to charge him with crimes. This happened back in September. We received the video a couple of weeks ago. We went to air immediately, all right? Now there's an update. A group of Georgia jail deputies are now on desk duty after a video surfaced 
of them circling and beating a black detainee. Attorneys Harry Daniels, Bakari Sellers, and Mario Pasella, Camden County NAACP President Timothy Besant Sr. and other community activists held a rally outside of the county's sheriff's office. This was on Wednesday, calling for charges against the deputies and for systemic changes in the sheriff's department. Now, let me show you a picture of Jim Proctor. Jim Proctor is the sheriff, he's the elected chief law enforcement officer of Camden County. Based on Georgia Constitution, the sheriff is the chief lawman of that county and has the ability to effect an arrest at any time he chooses. Now, why do you think these deputies were so comfortable engaging in that kind of violence against a detainee? Well, because there's a protection element affixed inside of the culture of that jail. They knew there were cameras, hell, they probably put the cameras up themselves. They were not afraid of these cameras, why? Because they were not afraid of that footage leaking beyond that moment, but it did, we got it. Here's something else to note, no criminal charges have been filed against these deputies. The district attorney, the district attorney has not filed charges, has not filed charges. They are still getting paid taxpayer dollars right now. Sheriff Proctor and members of his command reviewed the video, his office said in a statement on Monday. And Proctor, the sheriff, has launched an internal investigation. The deputies were placed on administrative leave on Monday. Hobbs, Mr. Hobbs, who was the victim, his legal team said Wednesday that the Georgia Bureau of Investigation is now reviewing the incident. So what do we have so far? We have a lackluster response from the actual sheriff, all right? These guys should be arrested, not on desk duty, still getting paid. We have no response from the prosecutor of that local community. We have somewhat of a response from the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, there's more. The attorneys, including Harry Daniels, the civil rights attorney, they have questioned Proctor's reasoning for taking so long. Why did it take him this long to address the issue? Hobbs 41 was in the Georgia facility from September 3rd to September 30th and was arrested on charges of traffic offenses and possession of a controlled substance. Why did it take him, the sheriff, so long to conduct an internal investigation? Is it because the video is public? If that's the reason, it's not a reason, said one of the attorneys, the guards, punched the detainee repeatedly in his neck and head for more than 20 seconds before dragging a bare bottom Hobbs into the hallway and slamming him into another wall. One of the deputies appeared to kick Hobbs while he was on the floor. Harry Daniels, one of the attorneys said they somehow ripped one of Mr. Hobbs locks from his scalp. Mr. Hobbs confirmed that with us directly. The rest of the altercation is mostly out of the camera's view. There is no audio in the first two videos. There's your update. Even with this kind of evidence on the record, even with this kind of video in full view of the world, even with the exposure, they are still getting paid. They are still not arrested. Now, eventually, I do believe 
Camden County will have to pay a healthy fee in some settlement or judicial rendering. Yes, call it defunding the police if you would. Here's the reality. These individuals were criminals before. They were criminals before that day. They were defined already before that moment. This moment has simply exposed them to us. Doctor, you are a specialist in dealing with things of the mind, deep things of the mind. These individuals, in my opinion, are psychopaths. Now, you may have a different conclusion. But explain to me what we just saw in that brutal beating of a detainee inside of a Camden County facility. Well, flat out, as you say, we saw a crime, right? We saw a gang attacking a defenseless individual. Um, and part of what runs through my mind is, is just anger. Anger, of course, at what we saw, which is unconscionable. And anger at people who argue that there was a before and after of what we saw with George Floyd, for example, or the many other examples. It seems like every time I come on the show, there's a yet another example of, of, of authority acting in this way. Now, I can just speculate, you know, there's certainly some kind of backstory here, but there is this kind of us versus them psychology, a very tribalizing psychology that is like we're the defenders and they're the enemies. And, and we live in a very tribalizing moment, a very racializing moment in a way. And so I just think that the, the issues that we saw with the murder of George Floyd on down um, resonate still for a lot of people. And the idea that, oh, that was 2020 and now we're post Floyd, I really I really think is given lie by, by all of these videos. There's so much more work that needs to be done. And in some instances, just given the backlash we've seen in society, the problems seem to be getting worse in a lot of locations. So just yeah. really, really disturbing. We're gonna continue to follow this story. We will update as the story develops. All right, we have breaking news, breaking news about the Camden County deputies who went viral for beating a detainee, jumping him as if they are a gang. Okay, uh, here's your update. Three officers seen in the viral video of a Camden County detainee being beaten have not been arrested on charges of battery of an inmate and violating oath of office. There it is, violating oath of office and for the physical attack, according to the Camden County Sheriff's Office. Braxton Massey is one of the deputies. Garrick, excuse me, Mason Garrick is another deputy. Brian Beagle is the third deputy that has been charged. Not only have they been charged, they have been booked into the same county jail where they assaulted Mr. Hobbs criminally. This is the county public safety complex, the same jail that Mr. Hobbs was booked in. The arrest come at the conclusion of an investigation by the GBI Georgia Bureau of Investigations. That arrest just happened according to an update we have received. Braxton Massey has been employed with the sheriff's office for six months. Mason Garrick for 18 months and Ryan Beagle has been with that county sheriff's office 
for three years. All three have been fired, all three have now been charged. However, the math ain't adding up. I see more than three. We will get information and provide it as it comes, but that is your current update. All right, Doc, what are your thoughts here? It, this happened very quickly. I, I think, again, as we said at the top of the show, this was clearly a crime. And when somebody's a prisoner or they're a patient, they're under your care, right? You have a responsibility, and very clearly in the images, this is a defenseless person in a in a in a prison gown, basically. And so, um, this was just very clearly, from what we've seen, a crime. And hopefully, this is the the beginning of a story that we'll be hearing a lot more about. Yeah. Um, and I want to say thank you to those who contacted us when this first happened. Also, the whistleblowers who have been in contact with Indisputable. We were the first agency to bring you this, and we will stay on top of it. All right. Police, according to residents, have decided to engage in conduct that is troubling. Searching individuals, doing cavity searches, stripping people on the side of the road. Let me first take you to this video in Aurora. Aurora police gang unit harass and sexual assault men digging up his but looking for drugs. One black officer and all over white. Y'all fucking with black people. You a sellout, black dude. And make sure y'all get his number, bro. One black dude and all white officer. You a sellout. There's significant background that must be shared here. Let me put up the picture of the witness who contacted Indisputable and provided the footage. Ronald Cooper. All right. Indisputable received exclusive video footage from Aurora, Illinois resident, Mr. Cooper, showing the Aurora police illegally performing a body cavity search on an African American man. Now, some of you may say, well, there must have been a reason for a body cavity search. Or some of you will say, we don't know what happened before that. Now, remember, residents have been complaining about this for a very long time in Aurora. It is not legal. And I'm going to show you how that action you just saw was against statute of the state. Cooper says he started filming Aurora police after they performed a body cavity search on him in 2020. They did the same to him a few years ago. Researching online, he says the practice has historical precedent. They used to call it buck breaking when slaveholders or white men publicly humiliate black men by sexually assaulting them in public. I've never seen any white people with officers hands up there. This only happens to the black community and the Mexican community. Direct quote from Mr. Cooper. In this complaint shared with Indisputable, let's put that up. In this complaint, Cooper says he witnessed the officers violate the suspect's right. He made an official complaint. Cooper's complaint read in part, when I observed Officer Hennings move his hands up his anal cavity and personal private parts. 
I heard the young man exclaim, why are you touching me right there? The other officers continued to hold him while Officer Hennings molested this young man. Now, I'm going to take you to the law. This happened in Illinois. What does the law say? Let's bring it up. Section 103-1 writes on arrest. No search, let me say that again. No search of any body cavity other than the mouth shall be conducted without duly executed search warrant. Any warrant authorizing a body cavity search shall specify that the search must be performed under sanitary conditions and conducted either by or under the supervision of a licensed physician to practice medicine in all of its branches in the state. I got that from the Illinois General Assembly who made the law. The officers did not follow these guidelines clearly. They did not wear gloves, it's on the tape, you have the footage. Here's the police chief, his name is Keith, Keith Cross. What does Chief Cross have to say? You see, Chief Cross emailed Mr. Cooper after Mr. Cooper complained and sent him the video. Here's what the chief said in the email. You and I have had several conversations in the past about some of these interactions. And as I've stated in the past, Sometimes things aren't always what they appear to be. I understand that you have a certain view of the Aurora Police Department and you are entitled to that opinion. I doubt that there is anything I could say that would change that opinion. It goes on to say, I don't know anything about the people that the gang unit was dealing with or the reason they were interacting with them. What I do know is that they are called over there to investigate something or they saw something that looks suspicious to them. They are going to check it out regardless of what color those individuals are. Tonight, Cooper, the same young man that provided the information to us will speak before the Aurora City Council. A detective named David Guviera who the Aurora Police Department referred to us for comment has not responded to us as of yet. Detective, we are waiting on the official response. Now let's highlight some dynamics that are important to this story. Chief, you know good and damn well what they're doing. The complaints have been coming to that department for years about this kind of activity. It is now exposed, your officers were in violation of actual state law. You are the chief law enforcement officer for Aurora. Your cops are on video violating the state statute. What are you going to do? What response will you now have? Will there be some level of appropriateness from your office given the fact that we now have your cops on record. Now, I guarantee you this, Chief, if you choose to not act, if you choose to not apply a decent policy and get rid of those who are contrary to the law and contrary to the policy, if you don't do it, guess what will happen? More of these videos will surface. 
more people in Aurora will start recording. And I will report on every single one of your damn officers who are violating citizens in this way. All right, doctor, what are your thoughts here? A bunch. I mean, it really goes back to what we saw before. I'd say the two main points that come to my mind first are it's so ironic, right? We live in this law and order moment where everybody wants like more cops, more cops. Um, but 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 what seems like what's fallen out of that conversation is like what's a good cop and what's a bad cop? Um, from a medical perspective, you you can actually probably kill somebody with an invasive search like that if you're not doing it the right way. Wow. You know, the mucosa is very sensitive. Uh, if there's no, it's not done with sterile technique, you can in, in, introduce an infection pretty easily and particularly in that setting. So I just think the chief's points are, are, are kind of beside the point. I mean, of course, people want to feel safe and of course they want, you know, to do the right thing there. But that's different from doing like an in the field Unprotected body cavity search that can be, you know, very, very costly to somebody's health or their life. And so again, I just think that there are two different parts of this, and the chief seems like he only paid attention to one part. And then the other part is the the, the man who was saying, you know, you're a black cop, why are you doing this? And we can talk about it on a later show. But when I was doing my book, The Protest Psychosis, about the overdiagnosis of schizophrenia in black men, I started off thinking it was just white racist doctors that were doing the overdiagnosis. And what I found in my research is that black doctors were just as likely to overdose mm. schizophrenia because it was this it was being a doctor actually that was the risk factor being part of the institution being part of the authority figure and using the tools of the system you know psych drugs diagnoses that was the risk factor it, the race of the person didn't really matter and so really i think that's important to keep in mind that just because somebody's a certain identity it doesn't mean they're going to act in a particular way it's really their relationship to authority Fascinating stuff, Doc. Thank you for that insight. We have another exclusive. Let's put up the picture. Imagine a school teacher posting something like this. All right? You see this? A middle school teacher at General Smallwood Middle School in Maryland was caught posting several photos of herself in Confederate gear, posing in front of the Confederate flag and showing a white power salute. You're looking at the photos from Facebook. All right, is this in line with the Charles, Charles County Public Schools social media policy for employees? The person writes, question mark. In it, Smallwood Middle School substitute teacher Kathleen Sturgill makes a white power salute. Now, obviously, we will say, well, that's a problem. This person should not be around children, right? Diotha Sweat, a representative of the NAACP, spoke to the local news and said, and I quote, it is unfortunate that in 2022, we are still dealing with racial hatred, particularly from a school teacher. The plot thickens. The parents have been demanding the district remove the teacher, but the school has pushed back. Let's put up the principal, okay? So according to various reports, the principal, the school system, they're pushing back on removing the teacher. That principal you're looking at is Brenda Tillotson. She issued a statement on November 7th advising the teacher did not violate the school's social media policy. 
The principal says the teacher removed the offending post, but the school would not comment. All right, that's how you wanna play a principal. I promise you a comment this week, guarantee you that. There's more. The statement read in part, it is a priority to me that all students feel safe and welcome at school, are comfortable to exercise free expression and understand that not all people share their likes, thoughts, opinions, or views. What kind of statement is that? That's insane. The principal's secretary, Mrs. Long, said she could speak on the principal's behalf, but would not address the public. Our top priority, this is a quote, our top priority right now is the students. So we're really only concerned with corresponding with parents. We're focused on the students, so we're corresponding with parents. That was a direct quote they gave us at Indisputable. Um, School teacher flashes white power, puts it on social media, decides to wear Confederate gear. Okay, you have a right to do that, madam. You don't have a right to teach our children. You see, that's not a right. Obviously, this is a significant violation of public trust. There's always a morals clause when you are an educator. I used to be a K through 12 educator myself. Now, damn it, this doesn't make sense. If you get a traffic ticket and you happen to be a black man working as a school teacher, you gotta explain that to your principal. And you may still get suspended if you were a super speeder. But obviously here, you can be racist in this particular jurisdiction. You can post it, it can be reviewed publicly by students, parents, and no action, the NAACP. They have been trying to get your attention and you decided not to respond. Well, here's your opportunity to do the right thing, be an advocate for children. Stop standing up and protecting racism. All right, Doc, what are your thoughts here? Schools are such flashpoints right now, really particularly around these issues. And I really, the question that comes to the top of my mind is who gets to talk about race in the context of schools? Um, if this teacher had gotten up and taught a lesson on critical race theory, that person, there, I don't think there would have been any debate, right? The whole right. system would have would have gone against her. Um, but really what she was doing was illustrating the need for critical race theory. The minute yeah. we take out any kind of critical conversation about race, which is a complex and charged topic. Um, but the minute we take away people's ability to talk about it, particularly in school settings, um, it just opens the door for stuff like this. Uh, we certainly have ha had, <laughs> problematic teachers for the history of schools, right? We've had teachers who were segregationists, who were racists, who were neo-Nazis. Um, those positions were very often marginalized because what we said as a country is we're gonna make our particular public school systems stand up for the rights of equity, stand up for the rights, especially after the Brown versus Board of Education decision, um, at least on in theory, at least the guiding ideology was that our schools should be springboards for people to be able to better their lives. And when we cut away those conversations, we kind of amplify the importance of weird stuff like this, where, I mean, think about how weird it is. Somebody can do all this crazy stuff in their private life, which is their right, um, but then they actually can't go in, that <laughs> you can't have a conversation about it in the school where they're teaching. So it's just a, it's an incredible moment for schools. I sure hope we come back to the ideals that we were, we've been guided by before. Yeah, well said. And think about the irony of this doctor. 
literally the school system is saying racism okay, teaching about racist America not. Exactly. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. And thank you everybody for joining us in this way as well. Square peg in a round hole says desk duty, question mark. These deputies need to be suspended without pay and charged with assault and battery and other charges that could apply. And still people on the right wonder why those of us on the left have little respect left for law enforcement. And remember, not only did they do that, they also lied on official documents. They lied and said he attacked them and then decided to lie to a judge in order to get charges affixed to the same person. A whole lot of crimes were committed here. All right, <clears throat> they're on desk duty. Stop Dragon says sadists chose jobs where they can be sadists, sadistic. That's correct, you're 100% right, all right? Uh, JP, thank you so much, JP. Uh, Doc, hold up that ring again so we can see it. Boom, there you go. All right, Izzy Roberts. Sorry, Doc, love your show, but after the past couple of stories, I'm going to have to take a break to recenter, discuss it with US law enforcement. I definitely understand these stories are difficult. They're difficult for me, they're difficult for my production team, uh, they're difficult for people to watch sometimes. But you know what's more difficult? The people who are victimized by this insensitivity and also egregious criminal behavior. But I get your point. Rodney Fawn, thank you so much. Welcome to Indisputable. We appreciate you. Gabby Mathis, member for five months. Thank you. Dr. Richard, thank you so much for bringing these stories we otherwise don't hear about. It is my pleasure, all right? Purely. And Dave Schmidt, 311, my homie, gifting two tier one subs to TYT's community. They've gifted a total of 807 in the channel. Bless you. All right, got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. She's not in danger. She's not in danger. <laughs> you see her? Oh my god, I'm so scared. She is wearing tan and gray leggings and she's recording me. She's not in danger. She's not in danger. You see her? Oh my god, I'm so scared. Okay, good. I'm glad I got this online. Help me. This is why we say, we say Karens are dangerous. Put up the picture for a mass here, okay? What did you just witness? According to the narrative, this individual was on the line with 911. And instead of simply telling the operator the truth, whatever it may have been, she starts acting as if she is being attacked in real time by saying, stop hitting me, stop hitting me, I am scared. This is the weaponization of whiteness. It is horrific, it's dangerous and it could lead to the death of another person. And why do you think she engaged in this way? Well, typically, 
Because law enforcement, they have engaged in a particular way as well. Well, they, where they will believe a white woman in distress, regardless of the facts. No evidence required, simply a statement and maybe tears. We've seen it attempted against T.O. We've seen it attempted against a bird watcher. We've seen these things and now we see it again. This story is developing. I just got this earlier today, still looking for more details. But the dynamic is very similar to others we have covered on Indisputable. So doctor, you being a psychiatrist and all, a person that does something like this, they are well aware of what they're doing, right? Typically, they know exactly what they're trying to do here. Right, I mean, again, we don't know who took the video, um, but I certainly can say that there is a racial politics to mobilizing the apparatus of the state against mm. somebody. And so calling the cops doesn't mean the same thing for all people. Um, making claims of victimhood that doesn't mean the same thing for you know who our society casts as a victim um, is just racially different and different by gender. That's the history from Emmett Till on down and well before. Yeah. And so mobilizing that history and whatever the story here is, you're exactly right. Whatever the story is here, um, it, it is a pretty conscious act, it seems like to me. And I would certainly want to know what more about the story here, but I just can't help think like, man, what did what did people do before iPhones? Mm. And and uh, and sim- what are the how, there's many instances of this phenomenon that have happened and, and haven't been recorded. So the only reason we're talking about it is because we have indisputable proof in this one instance. And and it does seem, I agree with you, to be, if it's not indicative of a much wider phenomenon, which it probably is, it certainly plays to fault lines about the role of the state, victimhood, um, intervention that make it even more problematic. Very well said. Now, for those who are familiar with that situation, the person who recorded it, contact us. All right, contact us. I would like more insight and context as to what we saw. I finally ran into a Karen. I got my kid in the car. Go ahead. If you want to make a long suit, go ahead. You you just hit that car. Let me get through. You just hit that car. I'll go inside. You hit her car. I'll go inside. Look at this. I'll go back up and I'll go inside. She's saying, hey. I haven't touched you. She just you just hit her car. No, I didn't. You just hit her car, it's on camera. It's just the line. Okay, but it's not that serious, it's just the line. If you want, I know, but you need to go behind me, just hit my bumper. No, I get, let me see. What would you do for a DQ blizzard? You just hit this lady. That's a whole lot. Hey, call the police so she can so she can get her uh Get her license plate, get her license plate. You see, I almost felt bad for OG Karen until she tried to drive away from the scene of the accident. This is now a hit and run. So when OG Karen was saying things like, I didn't hit anything, that was game. She was running game, okay? OG Karen, come on now. Privilege, ladies and gentlemen, 
It was a fender bender, a bumper to bumper thing, right? Hey, I apologize, exchange information. Doesn't seem to be any serious damage, but if it is, I'll contact my insurance company, whatever you gotta do. It's real simple, it's not complex here. All right, um, attorney, what are your thoughts here? I mean, this is when she leaves, that's a crime for real, it's a real crime. Yeah, I will say the second that I watched, the first time I watched this video, I felt the fear of God in my heart because that woman looks exactly like my great aunt Linda. Aww. And I was like, please, Lord, don't let it be her. <laughs> don't let it be her. <laughs> but it, it's not. So, uh, so Aunt Thanks. Linda's clear. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, at first, when I, when I was first watching it, I was thinking, uh, oh, I mean, Karen's are so bold. Of course, she'll just say, oh, I didn't hit you, knowing well that she hit her. But then now I'm realizing uh, as the video progresses, okay, so she's trying to create deniability because she knows she's being recorded. Um, I mean, of course, he was going to get out of the car and record that she did, in fact, hit that vehicle. Um, but I mean, it is really bold, a bold move to just drive away when you know that you've got at least one person recording you. You know that they've had ample time to write down your license plate number. And you know that he said he's going to call the police, so they might even be on their way already. Um, so, you know, it is just, you know, an example of the of the boldness with which Karens will engage with society. Yeah, and here's the thing, the fender bender, you're not in any real trouble unless you have like a warrant out for your arrest or something. You're not in any trouble, it's a ticket at worst, all right? At possibly not even resulting in a ticket if the two people can work it out, you're on private property. Oh well. Okay, Herschel Walker says he doesn't dance for anybody. Here it is. I'm that warrior for God that he sent down here to get this man out of office. I'm that warrior for God that he sent down here because I don't dance and sing for nobody. I never have and never will. Because I remember when my office lineman used to tell me, there's a Herschel, follow me. I'll take you to the promised land. So I'm going to tell all you. Vote for me, we all get to the promised land because we're not gonna get there by one. I want all of us to get together because that's what we are. We're God's people and we're gonna get there together. We're gonna work this thing out together. We can't do it because in the Bible, I read it said a house divided cannot stand. I don't know what Bible Senator Warnock is reading, but it's not the Bible I've been reading because he don't seem to be doing the right thing by him. That must be Senator Warnock doing this right here, trying to cancel me out, but he can't cancel me out because I'm the man of God. God loves me, and I can tell you that right now. Sir. Today, you're comparing yourself to Moses. Last week, you told us you were a vampire. I, I don't know. Um, so lying as Herschel Walker said he doesn't dance for anybody. Well, Herschel, sir, explain this to us. <laughs> Or, or maybe explain this one to us. Watch this right here. All right, I want you to watch this and stay with me right here if you want to do this, all right? Take a look.
Republican nominee for the US Senate out of the state of Georgia. I'm Herschel Walker. Yeah, that's him, okay? He claims that he is a real man of God. Not Warnock, not Reverend Dr. Warnock, no, 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 no. Not the pastor of Ebenezer, the church that Dr. King pastored when he was alive. No, Herschel is the real man of God. Um, it's already starting, ladies and gentlemen, already, all right? The Messiah complex, he has it. Now, President Barack Obama is coming to the state of Georgia to campaign on behalf of Senator Raphael Warnock, all right? Uh, let's put up the picture, the gentlemen were actually together not too long ago. All right, former President Barack Obama announced that he will in fact return to the state of Georgia to campaign alongside Senator Warnock. Why is this important? Well, it means Senator Warnock is vulnerable. It means you have to excite the base. It means that Herschel Walker could actually win the damn election. That's why you bring in former President Barack Obama. Obama, the most popular Democratic surrogate, plans to appear in Atlanta on December 1st and encourage early voting. The race was forced to a runoff because neither Warnock nor Walker received 50% plus one of the votes, all right? Uh, now, in the state of Georgia, in order to have a mandate to govern statewide, you need 50% plus one vote. Nobody got that because of a third party candidate named Chase Oliver who took away particular votes. So let's highlight the reality of what he is in the state of Georgia. Someone who is utterly not qualified to be a US Senator. Echoed by his own campaign staff in leaked emails to the press. They said this guy cannot be a US Senator. Not only is he raising money, not only is he highly competitive, many have him as the favorite to win because of the natural demographics of Georgia. It's insanity, it's ridiculous, but it's real. Now, what are we going to do? There's a strategy out there that continues to marginalize Herschel Walker. Okay, I think it's fair. I believe the guy has said some ridiculous things on record. But if you think that's the way to defeat him in a state like Georgia, you're sadly mistaken. You see, the white bigots that support Herschel Walker, they like their black men to not have a backbone. They like the fact that Herschel Walker doesn't know too much. They appreciate the fact that he's not qualified to actually be independent in his thought. That attracts them. To him, so that cannot disconnect the support they have for Herschel Walker. Warnock happens to be a smart guy, he's a bright individual. Just because he's smart will not garner votes for him. It's about connection, it is about connection. At the end of the day, who will connect to their base? Runoff elections are all about base turnout, nothing else. All right, Doc, thoughts here? Well, the main thought is if you live in Georgia, vote. Um, if you know somebody who lives in Georgia, go take care of their kids so they can vote. Yeah. Um, do everything you can because I think you're right. This election is is very close for a number of reasons. There are a bunch of Kemp voters that didn't vote for Walker the first time around who are kind of up in the air right now. Um, and so part of the issue is it's just a it's a really monumental and momentous election. Much more important than people realize for now, for two years from now. 
for the next six years? Would you rather, you know, which person do you want to hear from <laughs> for the next six years? Yeah. Um, but I also think you're exactly right about the race politics, that this is in a way two competing framings of blackness, mm-hmm. if you can say that. Yep. Um, one is a framing that is comfortable to white anxiety, a kind of compliant, um, compliant version that is honestly not serious, um, except that people mobilized around it. And so as I should say a lot of hate in, in the Walker campaign as well. He's been um, traveling around with people who are uh, anti-gay, anti-trans, running anti-trans ads. So playing not just to stereotypes of blackness, but also to sexuality, gender, it's, it's really bad news. Um, on the other hand, a version of blackness that is articulate and sincere and religious. And so I guess what Walker seems to be trying to do is take away Warnock's biggest um, advantage by acting like he's a man of God also. I just think really past actions predict future actions and people should just judge based on that when they go to cast their vote. All right, we will bring you the updates. I'm sure more will come. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back, we have a lot of show. Okay, let me read some of these amazing comments. Kind of pressed for time, cannot read all of them. Uh, tall glass of shut up juice says, I thought the woman strangling her dog while threatening the bird watcher pissed me off. But this takes the cake, perhaps she should invest in acting lessons prior to misusing and wielding her white privilege. Uh, Moth of Fury says, listening to Walker speak for God is like getting medical advice from a toad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for this. Uh, Luis Belmont Show walkthrough says, those sheriffs should be fired and not suspended without pay or on desk duty. The nerve of that sheriff. That's right. See Michael Henson. Thank you, see Michael. Uh, this Karen got her cues from Central Park Karen trying to call the police on a black bird watcher. Very similar dynamics. Money, made money in the building. Uh, the only danger is see Karen being in is standing in the middle of the road acting like a cuckoo bird, but maybe that's just me. Uh, see Michael again, somebody tell Herschel Walker that God sent Satan down from heaven also. <laughs> All right, RXM8V3, thank you for that. Uh, Herschel Walker is a man of yes massa. All right, okay. I said it would happen eventually. They have now banned Martin Luther King Jr. They have banned Juneteenth. All right, here it is. The governor of Virginia has decided to do these things. Let's um let's put his picture up full mass, and I'm going to give you the background as to how we got here. So you're looking at Glenn. Yunkin, he's the governor of Virginia. He is promoting a racist K through five curriculum that leaves out Martin Luther King Jr. It leaves out slavery. So according to the governor and those that support this move, MLK is too controversial for these students to learn. Republican governor released, this Republican governor released a new draft policy to revise the requirements for teachers of history inside of Virginia classrooms. Per News One, the reason for the overhaul is to restore excellence, curiosity, 
and excitement around teaching and learning history. That's the spin. Governor Youngkin's actions are not surprising. Immediately after taking office in January, the first two orders he signed banned critical race theory, which by the way, never was taught in K through 12 education, and mask mandates. One Twitter user's reaction was, it starts. There you see it. In the 53 page document, policies outline what and when certain subjects are taught to Virginia students. Many difficult topics such as lynching would not be taught at all until the sixth grade. And Christopher Columbus's role in the slave trade can only be taught in the 11th grade and beyond. Mm. Let's put up a picture of James Fetterman. Okay, he's the president of the Virginia Education Association. James says, and I quote, it's just another attack on trying to make history what they want it to be. Mr. Fetterman, I agree with you 100%. He also said, there is also a removal of content of Martin Luther King Jr. from the K through five standards. No mention of Juneteenth, removal of content of LGBTQ plus histories. The resulting standards right now are racist. They are factually incorrect. They are not age appropriate and they reflect explicit political bias. James Fetterman, president of the Virginia Education Association. In accordance with the law, every seven years, Virginia must revise its history and social science standards. Okay, in 2015, the year of the last update, the former governor recommended subjects such as gender equity and renewable energy. Those recommendations were ultimately scrapped according to 13 News. And critics of the now governor, Yunkin's new proposal are hoping his policy changes get the same treatment. Here is what we know, the Board of Education, which was originally scheduled to vote on the governor's new guidelines in August, is set to review the draft policy by Thursday. After that, the State Board of Education will hold public engagement sessions, but the actual vote is not expected until sometime next year. So what's happening? What's happening? Indoctrination, indoctrination is happening. You eliminate moral leaders that talk to the heart of the dysfunction of America, like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Eliminate them from the curriculum. Start with K through five or K through six. See if they will accept that. And if they accept that, go to six through eight. If they accept that, go to eight through 11. If they accept that, eliminate it all together. Right now, a recommendation from the governor says you can't teach the truth about Columbus until the student is in the 11th grade. They want to protect students from what? From the reality of white males and what they did, their criminal activity, their immoral behavior. They want to protect them. But then want to eliminate moral black men like Martin Luther King. 
Think about this, look at the direction we're going. This is public education. The vast majority of students in this state will go through public education. They are afraid, ladies and gentlemen, of problem solvers. They are afraid of this new generation actually solving the problem. You know why? Because in order for this generation to solve the problem, it means that their generation will be indicted because they were the problem. They don't want that. So in order to stop this generation from doing what they will inevitably do, they will miseducate them. They will tell them no problem actually existed. Doc, what are your thoughts here? Enraged, infuriated. As an educator myself, the role of school is to teach the lessons of history, good and bad, to create critical thinkers and and not to erase anybody's particular history. I don't hear them trying to erase a lot of white people who've done a lot of bad things from history. And I just think that the implications of the way we're teaching people of the future of this country in terms of people who can problem solve in the future is really at stake here. I also think it's a there's a bigger story just about the role of public education. I'm, I'm reading this book now called The Viral Underclass. That's a great book. I recommend it. Um, and it talks about how we're using the pandemic and the kind of unsettled nature of it in the aftermath to create kind of two tiers of people, kind of thinkers and workers. Um, and when you start targeting public school, not just about history, but also, you know, in Florida having really untrained people from the military and their spouses teaching education or here really undercutting. I mean, no history teacher in the world is going to stand for like not teaching MLK. Really what you're doing is creating even worse of a two tier education system where you can't rise up from the bottom to the top. And in a way what we're doing is creating a truly a viral underclass, people who can't think differently, who can't think critically, who can't solve problems, who have to work so hard against structural racism to do so. And so the implications here are profound. And as you and I both know, it ain't stopping in Virginia. So get ready for much more of this across the country. That's right, and we will keep everyone informed as it happens. So sad. Let's put up a picture full mass here. Uh, the daughter of late, the late basketball legend Kobe Bryant. Well, she has a stalker, a bona fide stalker. Kobe Bryant's 19-year-old daughter, Natalia, is seeking a restraining order after a gun-loving stalker keeps showing up at her school. On Monday. This USC student, daughter of the basketball legend, sought a restraining order after she claims a stalker has been doing everything he can to find her. In the docs obtained by TMZ, she says Kemp attempted to contact her, that's the person's name, two years ago, okay? When he was 30 and she was 17. She says he's under a delusion that they have a romantic relationship. Natalia says she has never met him, otherwise had contact or otherwise had contact with him. Uh, let's put up his picture. Okay. All right. She claims the man once sent her a DM with an image of her late father and wrote, Thankful for him birthing you. Hopefully, we can birth him, Kobe, adding, 
a red heart to the message. The doc say he had the hopes of having a Kobe-like child together. She says he has done everything he can to find her ever since. And she is living in constant fear. He showed up at her sorority house at USC. Sources with direct knowledge tell TMZ. He also allegedly showed up at one of her classes and was roaming the building. According to the docs, Kemp is in the process of buying at least one gun. And the docs say the sale is imminent. It goes on to say he has threatened to buy both an AK-47 and a fully automatic Glock. It also says Kemp is a gun enthusiast who has been arrested and or convicted at least for four crimes, including one involving firearms. Here's what we know, the LAPD is involved in the case and clearly wants a restraining order in place now. The young lady is asking the court to order the man to stay at least 200 yards away from her, her home, her job, her school, her sorority house, and her car. Uh, The judge has not ruled as of yet. I want to make sure that the judge is well aware an entire community stands with her sentiment. Not only as a broadcaster do I stand with her, but as a professor, I stand with her. She has to be protected. Now restraining order is a piece of paper, but it can be enforced. If that person continues to roam around the campus, show up at her facility, her dorm, her sorority house, whatever it may be, this is dangerous. How many times has this happened to someone and people did not take it seriously until it was too late? We won't do that. This family has been through enough. All right, Doc, thoughts here. Well, first, terrifying. You're absolutely right and serious, right? This this fits a pattern of somebody who's delusional and has acted on it in some some ways. And so just in terms of the history of this, I, you can't take it seriously enough. It's it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, the delusion that somebody famous is in love with you, that you're meant to be with them, and then you throw in stalking and guns, and it, it's really quite horrific. Um, but I would also say that I'm somebody who's, as you know, studied gun policy for the past 20 years. And I can also say that it's it's it, it's good that this is happening in California where there are laws that take away weapons from people like this. Um, what are called red flag laws, gun restraining orders, not just personal restraining orders. But that is not true in a lot of places. I mean, we, we've just seen a horrible mass shooting in Colorado in a, in a community, a county that is called a second amendment sanctuary that basically says, we're not gonna enforce those laws. They enforce, I think, four red flag laws in like 300,000 contacts or something. And so this is another case where this is why we need gun laws. It's not to take away guns from law abiding citizens and trample the second amendment, it's not that. It's that when somebody is flashing a red flag like this, you want a mechanism to disarm them because of what they can possibly do. So this is also a story, hopefully not in this case, but more broadly about the importance of of why we need gun laws in the first place. That's right, well said. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable stick and stay.
Welcome back, we have a lot of show left. Thank you for always remaining, all right? Tall glass of shadow juice says, I have a question. Is it normal or appropriate protocol for the governor of any state to determine educational policy and procedure or lesson planning? Great question, great observation. Technically, no. In virtually every state, there's a separate organization, board, or even elected superintendent of schools who's supposed to set the policy. The governor, however, sets the budget. So who has the real control, all right? Even in this situation in Virginia, the governor is making a recommendation to individuals that he funds, okay? All right, um, YouTube, uh, Fat Face says, that's exactly why I took my son out of their system two years ago, and I wish I did it sooner. My boondocks dragging, if this is up to the LAPD, I hope Mrs. Bryant is hiring a good personal bodyguard for her daughter. Cuz I don't trust those badge thugs one bit. All right, okay, a cop has pleaded guilty to violating the rights of a citizen. Let me take you back to the original video and give you the update, here it is. Put up his picture full of mass. This violent cop was a state trooper at the time in Iowa. That state trooper was accused of assaulting a motorcycle rider during a traffic stop. This was back in 2017. He has finally pleaded guilty to what he did in that video. His name is Robert James Smith, 58 years of age, pleaded guilty to depriving the rights of another individual under the color of law. In his plea agreement, Smith admitted that this intentional act, the open hand palm strike was with a bad purpose or improper motive to disregard the law and was in unreasonable, it was an unreasonable use of force. A sentencing hearing has not yet been set. If you think he's going to get real time, think again, okay? Uh, let me give you background as to the incident. In 2017, 2017, the incident was not publicized until the video footage of the arrest was released in 2019 by the Cedar County Sheriff Warren Wethington. He released the video footage of the incident after announcing he would no longer book any suspects arrested by that man, Mr. Smith, because of a lack of faith in his credibility. So let's pause here. You have an elected sheriff who goes on record and says, you see, if this guy brings anybody else to my jail, we're gonna let him go because we don't trust the credibility of this trooper. Did the trooper get investigated then? No. Did the trooper have to resign then? No. What other incidents are on record 
Well, many, we just don't know about them. That's the reason why the sheriff said no more to this guy, okay? Smith retired from the Iowa State Patrol in 2018, following an internal investigation after 2017. He was later hired as a police officer in Durant, where he was accused of using excessive force against a woman during an arrest. The defense attorney in the Durant case, Eric Tyndall, alleged in a filing that Smith faced more than two dozen internal affairs or investigations. Following the video release, Smith was placed on administrative leave from that police department one week before he resigned. In addition to the criminal case, talking about the biker Bryce Yakish filed a civil suit against Smith in 2019, accusing Officer Smith of violating the rights of privacy, liberty, property, and his right against unreasonable search and seizure. That's according to court records. The petition also claimed Yakish, who was originally charged with eluding law enforcement following his arrest, suffered physical and emotional harm. Prosecutors later dropped those charges after reviewing the video. So what's the timeline here? Too damn long, that's what the timeline is. This cop committed a crime way back then. And finally today, some semblance of justice. Now, as I said earlier, don't expect real time. Let me tell you why, and I've told you all this before. When a cop is charged, and you do not see the charge of violation of oath of office connected to those charges, the fix is already in. You see the violation of oath charge and conviction stops them from ever being a cop again, no matter what. When you don't see that charge connected to the crime, when you don't see that charge connected to the cop, somehow, some way they've worked out a deal in favor of the officer. So I do not expect there to be actual, real, legitimate jail time for the violation he committed. But at least he's off the streets, he will no longer be a cop. And hopefully the man he assaulted will receive some level of compensation for his suffering. Doc, thoughts here. You just really have to wonder like what goes through somebody's mind. I mean, again, we only saw a snippet of it maybe. He thought he was chasing a guy who just robbed the Manhattan Central Bank or something. But but what we saw is somebody who was completely following borders, right? Uh, come slowed down, pulled to the side, showed which side of the street he was gone, got yeah. off the bike. And then you got a gun to the guy's face. Like what what goes into your mind that you then act that way? It's it's almost hard to imagine like what what that pathology really is in a way. And so again, these stories, I know this was 2017, but they, they're individual problems. And as you're very rightly highlighting here, they're also system and systemic problems. And it's just weird because again, this kind of thing is as old as there have been police, but usually in a country like America, we have some kind of balance between authority and and individual rights, and it's 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 just weird to live in a moment where we see stuff like this happening again and again. And yet the pendulum is swinging swinging so powerfully toward authority. I don't know what 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 is what is going on with people right now that we don't think there need to be checks and balances on on a system like this. That's right. That's right. And we are part of that check and balance to the system.
Okay, remember the story we brought you of a GOP politician calling the cops on a nine year old black girl. We actually have the footage, we have the tape, the 911 call. And we also have an update to the young lady. It's actually a pretty good update. Let me first take you to the call. Here it is. There's a little, little black woman walking and spraying stuff on the sidewalks and trees on Elizabeth and Florence. I don't know what the hell she's doing. It scares me though. Do you have a, any like clothing description or anything? Uh, she's a real, real small woman, real, real tiny. Uh, she's got a hood on. Uh, you can't miss her. Okay, that was the first recording we have. This was not a small woman, this was a nine year old child, okay? There's more, here it is. Hi, how are you? What's going on? Is that your mom? What's that? Oh, what are you using to spot there? You're trying to catch him? Is this your mom coming down the street? Okay, someone just called in and said that she was alone spraying something on the grass. She's catching the. I see that. Oh, you know Gordon. Yeah. Okay. Can I just get your information? Sure. I'm sorry. Joseph. Are you serious? Yeah, I guess he saw it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Does he not live across the street from me? I thought too, and I thought, wow, he's doing a school project. Yeah, somebody else helped us. She's kissing the lantern. She's infested. She's obviously fine. We are. You're obviously next door neighbors. I yelled at one of his his wife. Um, No. No, you're not in trouble. How many did you kill? How many trees did you save? They're bad. Such a shame. Now the cop did speak to this politician. Here it is. It's water. She's catching lantern flies. She really? She said she lives right here. Yeah, she's catching lantern flies. All right, I'll see. I'll see you later. All right, let's put up the picture of this sob who called the cops. Put him up. Former Caldwell, New Jersey councilman Gordon Lashi decided to engage in this type of behavior. Lashi's attorney told Patch last week that his 71 year old client was in his backyard, did not have his glasses on and saw something suspicious in the distance. Here's the nine year old Bobby Wilson with her older sister Hayden on the left and her mother Monique Joseph on the right. This was at a November 1st council meeting after the incident occurred. Hayden defended her little sister at the meeting. She said, and I quote, she was not only doing something amazing for our environment, she was doing something that made her feel like a hero. Our neighbor across the street decided it would be appropriate to call the police on my sister. Joseph said her daughter was racially profiled and was afraid to leave the house the day after. Racism, intentional or not, it's still racism. My neighbor's words put my daughter in harm's way. His words and actions were unconscionable and the impact of the aftermath of this incident will not be kept secret. The attorney, Lashi's attorney, uh, Greg Mascara had this to say, Mrs. Joseph 
has lived directly across the street from Mr. Lashi since 2015. They have been friendly neighbors. The morning after the incident, Mr. Lashi immediately apologized to Mrs. Joseph. Mr. Lashi told Mrs. Joseph that he or that had he known that it was her daughter that he had seen, he certainly would not have called the police, all right? Um, obviously, uh, that apology was not accepted uh, according to the attorney. Uh, Joseph says the uh, she contacted the Caldwell police chief to try to arrange a private conversation between her and Lashi, but he declined. Uh, the two neighbors have not spoken again. Uh, there is a decent thing that came out of this story, let's put it up, all right? One good thing that came out of this story was that Bobby, the little girl, and her family were recently invited to tour Yale by Dr. Oprah, assistant Yale professor and director of the SASH lab. We want to say a big thank you to that professor and big thank you to the mother who's continuing to make sure her daughter knows that experience was not the summary of humanity. Doc, thoughts here? I mean, one thought is you can never really move into the neighborhood, right? Mm. Um, you're, you're always gonna be seen in a particular way. I mean, there, there's so much wrong with that call. And maybe he didn't have his distance glasses on, but he sure had his political uh, glasses on, um, you know, saying there's a black woman, right? Um, black girls very often are cast as being older than their age by, yeah. by white society. Um, and then he says, it's scaring me. Um, automatically linking blackness with fear. So we, we've seen this many times before and it's just really tragic. And of course, in this case, not only was it his neighbor, but the the city actually was trying to get people to do exactly what she was doing, right? This is an invasive species, these bugs. And they wanted people to um, <laughs> kill the bugs to save the trees. And so she was doing the right thing for for the neighborhood. And so, you know, I hope some good comes of this. I just really, after this, is, I've been following the story and, and I just love the, the mom's quote that racism, intentional or not, is still racism. I think that's something mm -hmm. to really, really keep in mind. And that's really where our interventions um, have to be. Yeah, uh, we say it often, implicit bias, hyperaggression bias, it is still biased and it still impacts the world in a negative way. Uh, Doc, always a pleasure having you on the show. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Well, anytime, it's my honor. I'm, I'm on a platform formerly known as Twitter um, uh, pretty <laughs> often. Um, and uh, just uh, dyingofwhiteness.com is, is my website from my book. And you can always contact me through, through that. All right, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.